Hello, and welcome to the Not Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And I'm Jessica Tercero. And this week, we are doing something for the first time that we've never done on the podcast. And by that, I'm being facetious because we're revisiting Ghostbusters. But this time, we're doing Ghostbusters 2 and the new Ghostbusters Afterlife. So Jess, we've already talked about Ghostbusters. We've already talked about kind of our history with Ghostbusters in that first episode. (laughs) Which we will link in the show notes. Yes. So Uh, if you haven't heard that first one, it will be there. Go back. I think it's episode like three. Like this is a early, early episode of the show. Yeah, it's like three or four. It's pretty fucking early. But yeah, so we decided to do this in kind of this format because technically this uh, afterlife is continuing the uh, 1980s Ghostbusters. They're acting like the um, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig one never happened, which is so funny to me because I feel like every news site that was like, this female reboot is trash and fuck this. And everybody that was like trying to tank it originally, like literally the headlines are, um, we should have appreciated the 2016 remake when we had the chance. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you should have. Yeah. But still, yeah. like, it was still leaps and bounds better, I think, than Afterlife, which we will get into for various Ooh, reasons. I disagree. And I'm excited <gasps> to talk about that. Oh, man. Is this going to be another episode where we have differences of opinion? I, on I think we're going to have differences of opinion it's not tr- it's not going to be like cuz other times where i was like no 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 i'm st- i'm like hard like i'm not going on the wagon or on the on the team of like justice for afterlife by no means like i have many <laughs> many problems with it but just in terms of like afterlife v uh heed the call what was it heed the call or something answer the something call something like i didn't realize that there was like a like i, I thought it was just ghostbusters i didn't realize that it was like a there was a cult cuz like when you search uh Ghostbusters 2016 it just says Ghostbusters 2016 I didn't realize yeah. that it had that like little sub attached to the title what the yeah, fuck yeah I know I it gets swept under the rug answer the call I think is what it is so it's I liked yes. I will say I personally do like Afterlife more than I like answer the call but <sighs> we'll get into that a little bit oh my gosh um yeah I mean I feel like there's it's gonna be an interesting episode because they are only linked by IP and a couple other things that I want to bring up. But apart from that, it's not like Afterlife is retelling. I mean, granted, it is a continuation of the same world because in this one, Ghostbusters 2 is technically canon because it's of the same. Like, Answer the Call is the only one that's erased. And I don't think we're including the cartoons in this version I don't of think the so continued either. story. It's just the original Ghostbusters Um I think it's going to be a good conversation because also this is going to be the cummiest episode uh, we've ever done. And that is a C-U-M episode. <laughs> yes, that is um, that is a nasty version. That's, of, yeah, that's um, going to be the the, the no, com- X-rated yeah. one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, so. Getting back to our relationship with Ghostbusters, we talked about the first one. The second one, I don't think I had ever, like, I've seen the original Ghostbusters, like, a couple times, like we talked about. But I had not seen it in, probably since the first time I saw it, I don't remember anything about it, which is why watching this uh, now as an adult uh, was incredibly incredibly eye-opening 
Yeah. It, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss for words because it was like, I was, inc- I was so shocked at some of the stuff that I saw. It's silly and weird. And, uh, it's, yeah. And not it in is. a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way. Is. I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, personally, I've never seen the second one. In watching this, I realized I've literally just never seen it. That's not something that existed in my life until uh, a couple days ago. <laughs> I feel like Ghostbusters 2 would be better if it, they just decided to go full on for the porn parody. Like, because yeah. there was just so much, uh, so many cum references in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and visualization. Oh, my God. Oh, and Sigourney Weaver took off her shirt for no reason, which, again, we'll get into. Yeah. But um, Afterlife, I had not seen. You had already seen it, right? I watched it once before we decided okay. to do the episode. Yeah, so that was this was my second viewing of it. And I, I, I feel nothing changed, in my opinion, about it. It was just like, oh, yeah, that is just what it was. I feel like, I don't know, I had no interest in seeing this next one. I was just kind of like, oh, whatever. So here we are doing it for the pod. And Here I we s- are. Should we just get into it? Let's do it. I mean, and I just wanted to also preface, not preface, but like, um, because Ghostbusters is like, at this point, the most covered IP on the podcast, um, I feel like it's also one of the most hated IP on the podcast, and that's not going to change <laughs> At all with this episode. So just keep that in mind. If you're Ghostbusters fan, not salty canonically, hey, it's Ghostbusters. Let's get into it. (laughs) Five years after their battle with Gozer, the Ghostbusters essentially broke up and freshly divorced Dana Barrett is now an art conservator and a single mom. Dana and her son Oscar have an unexplained occurrence that prompts her to reach out to Egon and Ray for help, at which point her ex-boyfriend Peter decides to force his way into her life once again. Egon, Ray, Peter, and oh, Winston is here, investigate the area and find an ancient underground slime sewer and somehow manage to cut the power line for all of New York's electricity and are subsequently arrested. During their trial, a sample of the slime becomes negatively charged by the negative emotions in the courtroom, causing a pair of ghosts to come forth. The Ghostbusters strike a deal with the judge and bust said courtroom ghost in exchange for the dismissal of the charges, while Dana's boss becomes the servant of Big Bad Spirit Daddy, whose soul is stuck in one of the paintings under restoration. On the other side of town, topless Dana is about to give Oscar a bath when the two have another weird incident involving slime coming out of the bathtub and reaching for the baby. Dana goes straight to Peter's apartment and decides to stay there for a while despite Peter's gross behavior. The Ghostbusters realize the slime is charged by emotion and warn the mayor, who turns them away, while Dana's boss kidnaps Oscar for the big bad spirit daddy who wants the baby for his new corporeal form. Dana goes after her child, becoming a hostage herself, and the Ghostbusters decide to shoot slime inside the Statue of Liberty to bring it to life and bring hope to the people. They smash into the building Dana and Oscar are being held in, save both of them, and everyone is happy in New York for the first time ever. Woo! Um, Come the Musical is this film. Um, this film is about come and mommies. It's like, mommies and, and come. It, that's all it is. And end of end of themes. There's it's literally like okay, first let's let's go for it. I hate, hate Sigourney Weaver's story arc in this. Fucking awful. It's the it's the it's the rudest, silliest, 
and worst possible choice, but obviously, of course, they were like, oh, Sigourney Weaver's coming back. Let's just make her a mom. And like, oh no, now she's helpless. Like, whereas before she was this like super strong, autonomous, confident. She was kind of the one like being like, you guys suck, whatever. I know, you know what I mean? And now suddenly she's like, I'm mommy. She's literally taken out of the final battle with a shop vac hose. Oh my like, God. That is it's... how they decided to that she's just like, oh my God, I'm a mom. I can't fight back. I can't do anything. By a shop vac hose that yeah. looked like she could have just wiggled her way on out of there. And let's talk about Dana's timeline for a second because this film takes place five years after the original where Peter and Dana break up mm-hmm. um, because he pretends to not hear her when she talks about marriage because of course women want marriage right away and then she also has time to get married and get divorced and have a baby and the baby is eight to nine months old so that means that her piece of shit ex-husband who i think in an interview sigourney said that um it was uh the nose spray guy from the first one or like the the orchestra guy that she Oh. I, I think it's supposed to be that wiener. Um, okay. But <laughs> so the baby is eight to nine months old. I think it's eight months in the first uh, scene and then a little bit later, like nine, whatever. I saw yeah. eight and nine months. That means that this piece of shit divorced her while she was fucking pregnant. Yeah. And also, I don't understand why Dana, as a mother, cannot be in an orchestra. She had to give that up. And I don't understand what the fuck is keeping her in New York. Because if my husband said, I got a job in in uh, London playing for the, the orchestra, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm not even doing the job that I really want to do. I have no friends. I have no family. Because why the fuck does she go to Peter's house when she's feeling unsafe? Why does she like not have anybody to call or anybody to go and be there for her? She has no community why wouldn't she just be like, yeah, dude, I'll go. Like, fuck it. Well, Jez, who's she going to call? <laughs> I mean, without a doubt, 100% agree completely, wholeheartedly, emphatically with everything you've said. It makes no sense for any of that stuff, especially for her character, because Dana's so cool. Why this? And like, even the like way they why? dress her, the way they dress her, her outfits were fucking horrendous in this They're one. Terrible. Every outfit just... was was awful. And then they like had to go and over-sexualize her too, where literally every moment that they could, they were trying to remind you that she's hot and she's the one that you're supposed to like, where she kisses every dude to thank them for helping her, right? Where she takes off her shirt for bath time and is just there in a bra because that's how I fucking bathe my baby. Yeah. Like, it's... And then there's the scene where she's in Bill Murray's house or his apartment and he walks in and she's in a towel and she's like, oh, whatever, it's fine. Like, I would not want my my ex who like was an asshole and I left like she made the choice to leave because he was being an asshole and treating her like shit. Like, I wouldn't want him to see me practically naked. It's... And she just I mean... acts like she's wearing just a dress. Well, the whole thing, it like her character is just shitty because it's so unbelievable like none of it makes sense the whole plot of like her and bill murray getting back together or like attempting to but it's it's bogus at best it's not it's not interesting or good because it doesn't make sense and then this is not even the same character we're familiar with again Mm -hmm. every choice she's making is like no no that's not well she doesn't even 
I would argue she doesn't really make choices because she doesn't no. just she doesn't want to see Peter and he just shows up and tries to charm his way into her life. Uh, this ghost, another ghost is fucking harassing her and yeah. decides that now that they've had her, her like the ghosts have had her physical form. Now they want her baby. Right. Because that's all women are is their bodies and their babies. Yeah. Um, so cool. Like. Everything here is not a choice. It's men controlling her and making these choices for her under the guise of she has a choice. So like uh, it's it's just really sad. And uh, and it really bothers me too. like the whole thing with Peter where she pretends not to care about him. But it's like, oh, my God, does he ask about me? And then she like starts to fall for him because she sees him with Oscar. And then like when you look at how. Peter reacts with the baby. He doesn't give a shit about that baby at all. Like, first of all, he calls Dana my Dana. Um, like, so he's still trying to project that ownership onto her. And then he tells the kid, he's like, I should have been your dad, trying to like instill that in the kid. He, when he's telling the baby goodnight, he's being a fucking asshole to him. And yeah. it's supposed to be cute. He skips out on like, he gets a lead on what could be like going for the baby, what could be stalking the baby. And he just fucking forgets about it. And he, or he like willfully says, no, 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 we're not going to deal with that right now because I might get laid. I might get back in this. So. I'm going to go over here, which is so fucked up because then uh, he's like actually confronted with it with the Ghostbusters come in and Dana's like, what the fuck do you mean? You didn't tell me about this after giving this like speech about how he's the most charming, kindest, unusual man and how she broke up with him, not because he was an asshole, but because she was protecting herself. And he's like trying to be like, oh, yeah, reform me, mommy. I just need somebody here 24 seven, like a fucking gross person that he is. But like in that moment, she immediately forgives him. Like, I'm sorry, this is her son. This is her child. This is presumably all that she has in the world. Why yeah. the fuck is he going to be like, why is he going to do that? Fucking, well, fucking, why is he going to be forgiven immediately? Well, here's the thing. Like, he canonically, historically, and within this world is a big sack of shit. Like, he sucks. He's historically been like this big asshole who is rewarded, obviously, just because he's a straight guy, a straight white guy, like, in the story. And, oh, he's charming. And charming is the thing that apparently is, like, makes him likable. And it's like, well, no, he's a bad person, but whatever. And the way he's charming is just putting everybody, like, it's, below well, the thing beneath is, him. It's, it's, like, it's like negging and it's, like, derogatory charm where it's, like, even with the baby, again, I, I made notes of that, too, of, like, I bet your daddy's really ugly, huh? You're only cute. Like what are you doing? Like, this is such a weird self-pitying thing. Like you have such low self-confidence so much so that you're in the room with this child attempting to neg a child who cannot speak English because you think so, so lowly of yourself. You think, I mean, this is all of all the actions of a person who feels worthless. It seems not to mm -hmm. dis not to disregard or like excuse it at all. But I, my biggest issue with it is like, and this, I'm not trying to like be like, let's stop. This movie shouldn't exist because like none of these characters, like nothing makes sense. The whole Dana stuff, I'm like, that's not Dana. This is fake. Him coming back and that whole romance, I'm like, this is not like nothing feels right. The bad guy, I'm like, okay, I don't care. And then 
fucking they do the same thing with the only black lead in this that they did with the other one where i'm like haven't you learned from this like he's at the beginning where they're talking about like they're at the birthday party and it's like oh we should whatever whatever the birthday party and blah and then he like disappears when they're doing all the construction stuff and then when they're in the courtroom and then he's like not back until later when they're having to do a fight kind of and he's you're like, not even in the commercials he's like, not even in the commercials i yeah. i it's, just it's, realized that and i was like oh my god like he is an the the lawyer and the receptionist have more of a character arc and are in this movie more than the fourth ghostbuster they did it again they just did it again and worse this time and that's what the movie feels like except now there's cum and mommy issues and that's like the only difference between this and the first one is that it's worse (laughs) and there's more cum and mommy issues Mm -hmm. and it, it just it just it breaks like now that I'm being like Ghostbusters 2 needs to be the pinnacle of 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 cinematic culture or like needs to be the pinnacle of like social commentary not at all but it sucks it's like not good and for all of these reasons like I just I the more time I spend with Bill Murray's characterizations or the idea of Bill Murray as he's presented in all of these different IP because largely it's he's kind of doing that same character to different degrees of charm or assholeness mm-hmm. He's kind of doing the same character like most actors or a lot of actors have that thing. And that's his thing. The more time I spend with that character, the more I'm like, how is he? How do he get all this stuff? Because like he's so unlikable. He's so unlikable and he's so shitty. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just I guess it makes sense because he's kind of an everyman in the way that he's uh, like awful and he's so like he's 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 literally doing the bare minimum for biggest reward hopefully of like being the worst possible person to get the biggest unreachable thing and every time is going to get it because he just assumes he will and you're like i guess that makes sense especially being a cishet white guy cool so i guess that tracks but i had such a hard time with this movie he is like even worse to (sighs) women in this movie like i mean in general this film hates women and is just fucking way worse to all women but like every woman that he sees he has to like make some fucking comment about her where he's still discrediting them still being an asshole he uh has these like off comments where he wants a potion to make women totally submissive where he is insinuating that egon should bang his students right where he calls the lawyer in court a kitten while he's fucking on trial and she's burying him right and of course he gets off like you know off that um that charge so like it's fine like we don't take her seriously and then like even the fucking statue of liberty he was like I wonder if she's naked under that toga. Like she's friends, you know that. Yeah, okay. and it's like, like it's a fucking statue. It's a fucking statue. But like, also, what the, the fuck way, are you doing? The, the way that in that moment too, like, oh, she's French, you know, implying that she has body hair, and that like, oh, here's a warning: be careful with this naked woman's body. This object, it has body hair, so like, ew, nasty, gross. Like that's the implication. What the fuck? Like, what a dumb, bad joke. But also, like what yeah <laughs> what <laughs> i well and, I, and, I, <sighs> and then yeah like just everything that comes out of his mouth is just really awful this character is even worse than he was in the last one i think everything in this story is worse than the last one at least like the last one like 
some of the other characters were fun, right? Again, and in this all, one, of Dana's um, stuff, all of Dana's stuff was great. Like in the first one, at least there's that. At least there's some Janine, cool stuff. Janine was great, the receptionist. In this one, she just wants to be a mommy and fuck on the couch. Like that's literally it. Again, mommy issues in come. And going back to come, the main, <laughs> back to come, um, the main thing that they're trying to tell us about like the the hurdles about the struggle in this film is that like cum brain makes men want to fight and sort of makes ghosts bad but it also is the bringer of life and you're like okay i get it i get that this is like a big attitude and how you look at it and i get that it's just a big dick joke like this this movie's just a big dick joke it's a big cum joke like that's all it is because again they're covered in cum they get out of the sewer and it's like i'm gonna fucking fight it's like no it's the cum it's making us do this and then obviously the spraying of the cum inside the statue of liberty and she's like suddenly i see and starts walking across the ocean and you're like and she she's brought fuck? to literally the statue of liberty is brought to life and is given life from this come being shot and we are it is i mean the, arguably the, same i mean yeah um, <laughs> but like okay the reason I we're mean... calling it come is because for people that have not watched the movie like we didn't before this pod um they go into the sewer and they are um they find this ancient slime river that like when they are covered in it and confused they're angry and it's very and they're very mad and stuff right and then later on they take a sample back to the lab and egon and ray are trying to figure out how to charge it or how it works right what happens and so they're talking about how they know that it can be charged negatively and they're trying to charge it positively by playing it music by um and the things that they're trying to do to it by the way are the things that you're told to like do to a baby like back in uh those days especially so they're playing music they're reading to it and then they fuck it like there is a, a line where they're like where it is just fucking clear that these two men fucked the slime because they thought it would make it happy and yeah. uh, they thought it would make it positive and then when they decide to harness the energy of the slime the guns that they use to distribute the slime it looks like they're coming like there's it's yeah. not even just the way, like a, the way it's it not like a water gun. gun it's no. not a water gun it literally looks like somebody's coming all over this thing it's it's a and big then, gun yeah and then at the end the only time and i i love this the only time men can actually be happy is when they're covered in happy come and they had a purpose and they knew what they were doing and yeah, that's the and only that's... time that they can be nice to each other is when they're covered in cum when they're happy in cum, cum. which i mean <laughs> arguably which i was like okay i like same that. <laughs> i mean same <laughs> i feel i don't want to get too graphic on here this is the fan no it's not well whatever who cares this anyways, is our yes, most happy cum love being covered so in cum. anyways <laughs> but um i also wanted like if you haven't seen the movie Yes, it's a river of slime, but also if we're looking at its texture and color, it is opalescent. It is pearl-esque. It is has like, it's just pink. That's how they decided to make that but to they, differentiate that was just it's, it's to literally give it a just little pink tinge of pink. Yeah. Yes. But apart from that, it is very reminiscent of a very familiar fluid. And it's just the cum movie, Jess. It's the cum movie. Like, literally, the fact that they go into the Statue of Liberty and they're making all these comments about, like, oh, she's this big hot girl, big hot French girl, like, whatever. Oh, my God, we're inside this girl. Then they just spray all the cum inside her. And you're like, 
And then she's like, oh my God, I'm so ready. Let me and go then she comes and to life. Save. Which she- we can argue that um, the Statue of Liberty getting them in to save Dana is women saving women. But I mean. True. I'm just and, kidding. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's. That was supposed to be funny. I'm not that funny. It's fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, well, just because also like the insignificance of men and how like ultimately it is women saving women. Yes. But. Yeah. Uh, this movie's so not thoughtful or smart or interesting. And who is this bad? Who is the fuck is this bad guy? What is his deal? He's like a meaningless, powerless, like they're just doing a fucking hereditary bullshit where they're trying to steal the baby so he can inhabit the baby's body and use that as his sort of corporal form in this new flesh and become the ruler of the world or whatever. And, it's so boring. It's so boring. It's like the most basic boring thing. And how are we going to tie into that? Oh, body snatch thing. What if it's her kid and it's mommy? And like, and like, why did he need that baby? Like that didn't make sense. And I feel no, like he could have had any director... other child easier. And it would have made more sense for a different kid than somebody who's affiliated with the only people, arguably who could stop him. Yeah. And it didn't make sense to me that uh, the art director, who is definitely like queer coded, right? Like, it didn't make sense to me that like they were trying to force that love story and trying to trying to vilify queerness. (laughs) Right. And uh, but still while pushing, like making his storyline so heteronormative. Well, that's the thing. It's like he is he decides that he's going to give the baby up for ownership literal ownership of dana again dana doesn't have a choice in this she is again going to be the mother of evil as far as the queer coding it's truly and simply it's just like a gay joke sort of the villainy Mm -hmm. of this sort of queer coded character and it's not even necessarily queer coded only in the sense that he is a male presenting person who is more effeminate and a little bit softer Mm -hmm. um but that all that all plays into that same stigma and stereotype for like anti queerness. This idea right. that like, oh, he's bad because he's a man and he or a male presenting person and is also weak. And the weakness is only derived from the, his performance of feminists. And so this like, isn't he so pitiful going after this woman, thinking he can have sex with this woman? Look at this pitiful femme man. And that's it's it's one of the most boring. Uh, takes for villainry at least if you're going to queer code your villains make them interesting but this is a base level first thought like oh yeah it's and it's also a straight cis male thought of like god what are we like what if we gave the weak guy the one and he's bad and it's like what makes him weak oh what if he was like what if he was girly like that's the whole thing and it's it goes back to like anti-homosexual anti-queerness and it goes back to like just general homophobia and all of the shit attached to that and of course of course the ghostbusters are being homophobic in this of course or i mean granted in the way that it's written of course they are because it's a bunch of like is this arguably like ghostbusters are in the same world as like animal house and like that kind of like yeah bros just whatever and fucking who cares and we're just gonna fuck chicks and beat up quick like you know what i mean it's just like nothing matters i'm a guy and like fart jokes and you're like all right go on so there's nothing surprising about the way that they vilified or they made this villain so effeminate and so queer coded like Mm -hmm. to me and it also just adds to that level of like like this movie is so bad because like at least to me and check this out and i'm not like saying like yeah if you're gonna bully me like do it well but like 
if you're gonna bully me, do it well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're gonna queer code your villain, spend some time figuring out how, like, how how to portray to us that, like, I don't know, how to use a hard F word in this. Like, really pack a punch, because this is the most boring version of this, like, okay, he's he's bad and weak because he's effeminate. That's it whatever like Like, it's so boring (laughs) like that's supposed to be bad that's his badness right is that he's he's different he's queer he is sassy right he has opinions um and he's um he's he's an artistic yeah exactly he has an accent so you know he's (laughs) he's um, european so he's gay and you're like european right um but like meanwhile like that's supposed to be looked at as less than or as like yeah. kind of or or like vilifying them already, right? Whereas our heroes are fucking the slime that they brought as an experiment. And then the experiments that we see Egon doing at the beginning, where Egon is literally doing experiments to see if like human emotion can physically affect the environment around them, which like I feel like that was we didn't really need that, but it's like, okay, this sets up the premise for like, them for screaming how- at a cup of cum. <laughs> yeah, sure. But like, he um, is like testing this like couple that's already on the rocks. Like he's causing them to have a divorce just for the sake of science. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. And then the, the young girl, he gives her a puppy and takes it away just to see like what's going to happen. And it's like, Egon is an asshole. Egon is an asshole. And so like moving into the next film, like in the first one, I think I don't remember very well, but I think I liked Egon. I was like, okay, cool. Well, and he in was this better. One, he was better because he, he was the one who kind of like called out Bill Murray a little bit for yes. the test. It was like, yes. Hey, fucking stop. And you're like, Oh cool. Egon gets it. Sick. Yes, and he's 100%. like all science and does the thing. Yeah, I liked Egon in the first one. Um, this one, they undid everything that I liked about him. And then they tried to bring it back in, in Afterlife. And um, that was a point that really didn't sell that we'll get into. I have so um, much to say about Egon in Afterlife. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, so like we're supposed to see queer as automatically bad, but see fucking slime as super okay and being a creep and inserting yourself into a space where you have you are not wanted bill yeah. murray because he's rewarded for it right and he actually uh, i mean that's what she wants she when she said no she meant yes but like that's supposed to be okay that behavior is okay because that is the every uh cishet man right and anything outside of that whether you're a woman whether you're queer whether you're not white I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, Bill Murray also has, like, racist lines in this where he's like, well, you're not going to get a green card with that line. And then, like, the mayor refuses Mm. to shake Winston's hand. And it's Winston's hand. It's not Bill or anybody that's, like, you know, one of the main Ghostbusters. And I was like, this is racist. This is awful. Yeah. Like. That green card line. And again, it's one of the one of the supposed to be like kind of funny, a little like, ooh, a little risque lines uh, from Peter, from Bill Murray's character that it's not really risque and it's not really funny. It's just like, Oh, you're just kind of like a conservative piece of shit. Like you're just, yeah. you're, you're spewing this like conservative rhetoric, not necessarily as a joke. It's kind of ambiguous. Obviously you're supposed, it's like intended to be that way, but it doesn't read as a joke. It simply reads as like a, Oh, this was awkward. And let me say something racist. And you're like, Oh fuck man. Like it's just not, it's not, <laughs> interesting and it's not good and it doesn't land it's not well done not to say that like good racist jokes are well done no but 
in this instance, it's just like. And again, ugh. like when we're talking about making women and queer people the butt of every joke or, you know, just powerless or evil, we are supposed to be rooting for the Ghostbusters who have gone bankrupt, right? They're like, oh, well, we can't hunt ghosts because we don't have any money or whatever, right? Like, this movie is really interesting because it like the first one was like, we don't have any money, but whatever we're doing this, we're here. And it didn't feel like it was as much for a paycheck as this one, where in this one, it is absolutely clear that they are capitalist and it is absolutely clear that they are not interested in helping people and helping the community just because they can. The only reason they give a shit about what's happening right now is because it's Dana. That's the only reason, because they have a tie to that. But like, they don't care about anybody else unless there's money involved. So they're helping for money to a problem that they've created. And yeah. in that, they're uh, living and glorifying the past in a way where it's like, why are you trying to praise this? Oh, it's because you had a moment where you just had a lot of money for this. But yeah, they're, they're not interested in, in just helping people or helping the community with these like very real problems from the first one, right? They're like, just fucking pay me, man. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're arguably just like sad guys. Mm -hmm. Sad guys who've like created a problem and say, that's not a, like, and I want to say. look at their mistakes either, right? Because they destroyed no. half of New York and they were pissed about getting stuck with that bill. But they were also like, man, wasn't that the time? Weren't those the days? And it's like, you literally did all of this without any consideration of, and this is something that I think of like Marvel is starting to talk about a little bit, which is cool where it's like, sure, you saved the world from these aliens or, or from this like supernatural presence. But in doing so, you also destroyed the city and you destroyed lives and somebody has to be responsible for that. You can't just get a free pass because you helped save us, right? Because there has to be some sort of accountability, which is also really interesting when we're talking about that because I really love, one thing I did love about this movie was the portrayal of cops and judges and politicians. So like the entire justice system and the entire, like all politicians and everything. I was like, great, they're awful, uh, yeah. they're corrupt and they're terrible and they just want their problems to go away, cool. But yeah, I, I think it's just so interesting that we're talking about accountability, but we're supposed to not want them to be held accountable for anything that they did or like have to like prove how they tried to mitigate damage or anything. Because at that point, they weren't concerned. They, they just wanted to get the, the marshmallow dude. They just wanted to get Gozer, you know? Yeah, it's I feel like any attempt that I'm having to sort of like realistically justify the choice like and again this just goes back to like me being like this movie shouldn't exist like anything i try to justify i'm just like this is just an overblown snl sketch that got cut for time yeah is what it feels like it's like not of this world it, or obviously not of this world none of it feels real or realized it's too long it doesn't make sense and the butt of the joke the main joke is oh ha ha come and also mommies and you're like Oh, yeah, I see why that sketch got cut. And it's awful because, like, what I love about the idea, uh, about Ghostbusters is the idea of Ghostbusters is 
the look, is the costumes, is the premise. Like on paper, without these performances or these choices, like this is what Ghostbusters are and this is what they do and this is where they're at. Like the firehouse is this. It's like, that's really fucking cool. Like that is really awesome. And so when I saw, because I had not seen the original Ghostbusters in a fucking minute, when I saw the, uh, the 2016 version, I was like, this is Ghostbusters to me. This is Ghostbusters because I remember it being you know, a little bit fun. I remember it looking great. I remember the wacky costumes and the the crazy car and stuff like that. And I love that. And I think that is so fun and so cool. And then watching the original text, I'm like, they they failed. <laughs> they yeah. failed. Well, also, similarly, like with all of these movies that we talk about, it's all contextually based. And I know that the big conversation that we have with director's cut, um, answer the call versus theatrical cut of answer the call has everything to do with the deletion of a character. And that changes the complete motive of the main character, which in the theatrical release makes it make very little sense. But with his character added, it's like, Oh, that's why she did this. That's why this happened. That's why this scene takes place. Whereas without him and without any mention of him, it's like none of these choices make sense. This movie has one of those characters. Eugene Levy was cast as Rick Moranis's cousin. And he worked at the Menstil Institution that they get sent to. And his whole subplot is he's the one who gets them out. Really? But they took him out completely and just said they get to come out. And that's it. So he, he was cast. They shot it. He's in it. And that's why there's sort of a visual gag. Not a gag, but like a ooh Easter egg. When um, the ghosts come to life and everyone's running out of the theater, Eugene Levy's name is on the marquee. And I was like, oh. that's I was like, that's so why is Eugene Levy's name on there? Like, that's that's strange. It's a film that he was in, but it's like highlighted so prominently in this. I was like, that's he's not in this movie. That's so strange. He that's was. So wild. Yeah, he was technically in this movie, but. Uh, his character got completely scrapped before they uh, released it. So I think that that's an interesting notion of like, granted, with his addition, would that have changed much? Who knows? Probably not. But right. just in the context of like, there was a whole subplot with him written into this story that we literally just never knew about and never saw. But it is inarguable, at least with this series, and at least from what we've discussed with the original Ghostbusters and this Ghostbusters, Despite all of that, the text itself, the writing, the choices and the intention are still bad. <laughs> like yeah. no amount of like redacted characterizations or characters or subplots can really change like the core essence of Peter as being a misogynist, racist trash can. These are not likable characters or good characters. And what they do to every character who is not a cis white guy it's literally the wrong choice and echoes the ethics of those who are writing it, which is this core group. And it's not good. It's bad and it's a bad choice. And it's, it's just reflective of their own viewpoints. And if not that it's like, Oh, well it's supposed to be funny. It's like, well, that isn't a joke and or whatever. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. Absolutely. Um, this movie was awful. Yes, it was awful. awful. They reshot the last 25 minutes of the movie after it tested poorly. Um, so what we got was the reshot, reshoot. And even then it's like, mm. and also really? the, yeah, the kid also in the birthday party scene at the beginning, uh, who's like, 
whatever to the Ghostbusters. Who hates Uh, the Ghostbusters. What's up? Shout out that kid. (laughs) Yeah, that's Ivan Reitman, the director of Afterlife. Really? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Jason Reitman. Um, Ivan Reitman directed and wrote the first two. Jason Reitman directed and wrote Afterlife. So it it is just the... And we'll talk about that more. But because he is the son of the director and at that time was a child, he got cast as the part of the insufferable kid at the party who says, fuck the Ghostbusters, essentially. And that is the director of Afterlife, which is the movie we're about to go into. So should we do it? Sure. I, yeah. Let's do the next one. <laughs> Let's do it. OMG. Cool. It's 2021 now, and Egon has a lonely life in Somerville, Oklahoma, where he is killed by supernatural forces. Oh no! He leaves all his possessions to Callie, his daughter he never met in person, who is currently under financial distress. Unfortunately for her, Callie inherited a dirt farm, tons of debt, and a practically condemned house. Cool, Dad! Her kids, Phoebe and Trevor, are miserable and struggle to fit in. Phoebe eventually makes friends with a conspiracy theory-obsessed kid named Podcast, because he has a podcast, and her summer school teacher, Gary Gruberson, while Trevor takes his chances with a very unavailable Lucky Domingo. Podcast shows Phoebe the town's abandoned mind that has weird ruins, and the two decide to hunt ghosts after Phoebe stumbles on her grandpa's old ghost-busting gear and does a deep dive on Google. They find a ghost and chase it with Trevor, who fixed up the Ecto-1 even though he can't drive, destroyed half the town in true Ghostbuster fashion, and got arrested, also in Ghostbuster fashion. Also, Gary starts to date Callie. Weird. After the kids get out of jail, Trevor and Lucky get clued in on details surrounding Grandpa Ghostbuster and his pals, and they all head back to the mine where they find a different section of the ruins that includes a pit of souls and a body belonging to the man that built the original skyscraper the Ghostbusters fought Gozer at because, oh man, turns out Gozer is coming back in a big ray right here in 2021. Callie and Gary are the new keymaster and gatekeeper. Gozer comes back. There's a big fight. The kids try to trap Gozer. The remaining OG Ghostbusters show up. The ghost of Egon shows up. Everyone's finally happy, and the world is saved. Oh, and Peter married Dana, and Winston is rich. Fiend. <laughs> so... Um... Right off the bat, I hate this movie, um, and you always know how much I hate a movie based on a section of my notes, which, when it's good, there is not a section that's titled Why that takes up at least a half a page. And Like with Matrix uh, Resurrections, yeah. uh, there is an entire at least half of a page, three quarters of a page, that is just simply titled Why. So I do want to start this and just address the biggest elephant in the room. Yes, in fact, podcasts are named after this character. This character is actually canonically the inventor of podcasts, which is why Truly. it has that name. Because um, he had a radio show and his name, uh, his USB stick, exactly. Which, yeah. um, easiest way to listen to podcasts, as you know, is sharing it via thumb drive. I um, had to stop the the film when that happened, and I was like, n- like my notes literally say, no, no, this kid's name is not podcast. No, 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 no. I no. thought it was a joke, no, no. and then they continued, and his name's just podcast. And you're like, okay, and it also perpetuates that like the only aging character is like this like tech guy in the same way that Data was. It's that same trope, which is gross. Also, all of the characters of color who are sidekicks and cops, which okay, 
uh, don't have real names. It's like podcast, podcast and, and lucky, lucky. And you're like, oh, well, this is it. Just seems icky. Whatever. I want to say off the bat, as a whole, this movie is hard fine. I think generally, and here's the kicker. And I know people are gonna be like, whatever. I think it's more cinematic than any other Ghostbusters film. I 100% agree with that. Like, okay, cool. but there's but there's nothing happening in the movie to make me interested in watching it. I it think seemed and- uh, cinematically much better, but also way more boring. But I will say, I honestly, I enjoyed the first half of the film pretty intently. I think once the story gets wacky and then it's like, oh, we're doing Keymaster and whatever again, fine. Um that's where it kind of loses me. And then it like, we skip a few scenes that like should have been there and they weren't. And then you're like, what? And then it ends and you're like, what? And then the guys come back and you're like, what? And then it's like, he's a dad, but he's dead. And he's a ghost and he gets to be a real dad again. It's like, I love my daddy. And you're like, what? <laughs> no, he's a bad dad. Shut up. Like, stop. What are you doing? Oh um, and then it's just off the rails and it's a mess. But I will say, I really did enjoy thoroughly classic film first half of this movie where it is cinematic. There's struggle, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, is it see, bad? I didn't. I didn't okay. like it um, because I could see what they're going for. And for me, it didn't hit because of a couple reasons. One, I thought the characterization of everybody in this movie was fucking awful. I thought that the daughter, um, Phoebe and Tyler, was awful. Um, Phoebe is basically young Sheldon more so than she is like Egon, which is like not great um and made me not like her and then uh the son is just a fucking asshole who's like literally just like trying to do the bill murray thing of putting a smiley face uh, under experience and flirting and being like hey but i can get a job right and he fails his driver's test like three times and he's like actively going after a woman that is unavailable which um bill murray did in the first one um So I I really didn't like him. I thought his performance was awful and gross. But also, like, the mom was also shitty. Like, nobody was nice in this except, like, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd was like, but he he was the most talented actor on this entire film. And I think it's because they just said, be Paul Rudd. And everybody else felt like it was a made-for-TV movie to me. And I didn't root for anybody because I didn't like anybody because it's like, okay, well, Egon was an asshole and a terrible dad. Why would I root for anybody around him? And then the mom was an asshole to the kids. Like, um, what does she say? She says, um, so her husband left because he couldn't connect with the daughter. So we're making... We're making her marriage end because of the daughter. Cool. Basically had a bad life and it was ruined by men, by her dad, by her husband and by her children. So she has no joy and she has nothing because her family and everybody she's ever cared about suck. And the kids are even being an asshole to her about like, you have no money. I thought you fucking handled this. And it's like, why is everybody being such a fucking entitled asshole to each other? Like, it is so bad. Yeah, that's also something that I've thought about and grappled with, especially watching it the second time. None of them are likable. And again, like, at least make our star likable. And what kind of bothers me, too, is like, 
I just don't like that they justify her like unlikability as autism in this way that feels really like kind of nasty. Like, oh, well, I'm just like, I'm cold because I'm autistic. And you're like, and she literally okay. has to say that. She has to say, I don't exhibit mo- emotions the same way everybody else does. And she's just a condescending asshole to literally everybody. And when- to me, the thing the thing is, is if you're going to already have that conversation, which it's here, you need to handle it with way more care than A, a one-off line and an unlikable character. Like, not to say that, like, again, she has to be. She doesn't have to be anything. But at least in this context, you can't just throw it away with a single line. Like, that's too, and it's not to be like, this is a story about autism. No, but your lead is is clearly this. You've written her as such. That is who this character is. Throwing it away for an audience that quickly and that simply, it's like, autism isn't that simple. It felt gross. It felt mm-hmm. it felt irresponsible. And, and uninformed. it felt for the sake, uninformed, and it also felt like sort of low-key for a laugh. Like, yeah, like it, it felt, kind of played. Um, it reminded me of... Billy from Power Rangers, that characterization. Yeah, literally. It's just like a poorly unresearched, unnuanced, unempathetic shoehorning of a character with autism. And it just doesn't, it didn't make sense. And it also is just so, it is just, it was bad. It was bad. I hated that line. I was just like, no, let's, we're not, you get no points for this. Like, I know you're trying to like get points and it's fuck, fuck off. It's gross. It's just nasty. I really did wish Phoebe was like not nice. I feel like reducing it to just like I wish she was nicer feels icky also just to be like I wish she was nicer this sweet little girl. It feels a little condescending and a little whatever but like truly like the scene when she goes into the back room with Paul Rudd after the earthquake and he's like oh it's this. She's like do you think I'm a fucking idiot? And he's like oh oh for sure like what? And then her joke I mean I know it's setting up the tension for the joke of like don't be obtuse. And then she does that like wonky wink as a way to try to like throw in humor. But it also doesn't land. And it feels like, wait, who is this asshole kid? It, like, It doesn't land in <laughs> in the <laughs> moment, right? And it also doesn't land as an audience member. Uh, like us watching this, it does not land in any way. It's just a really unthoughtful take on this character. It's a very one-sided take of this character. And that's why, to me, I was like, this is just a young Sheldon. Like, yeah, this is what this really is. Was. And I got that right off the bat. And I was like, oh, fuck this. You know what, Jess? The more we talk about this, the more I'm disliking all of these parts, 100%. <laughs> um, and rightfully so, because I do feel this way, I think. And now that we're discussing it, I'm like opening that box. But even, like, it is it is just like a toxic trash heap of, like, unresolved emotions and like badness which some families are like that but also in this case it's like these kids are treating her like she's like whatever and then even when paul red shows up and he says something and she's like oh yeah nothing in this house except my dying soul or something like she's this like kind of immature pitiful jerk in this way and it's just like oh is that what i smell she's like well it wasn't dinner and i know she's trying to be like funny and cute and i like that as a way to just be like i'm not cooking for you sure but it does feel more of like a fuck my life and fuck my kids situation, which is like. Well, yeah. And they're like, oh, is mean, there, there's no bars here. And she's like, there better be a fucking bar here. And it's like, oh, ha ha ha. Right. Like mom is miserable and wants to go drink at the bar, even though she has no money. And she's pissed. Like her whole unresolved tension with her dad 
like I like the idea of Egon being a shitty dad. Like I'm I'm here for that, Same. right? I'm not here for him just bailing on his friends and stuff or how dismissive that I mean, it tracks the Ghostbusters are super dismissive all the time, even in the first two movies of everything. They don't believe anybody, even Dana, uh, when she has these experiences. So like, sure, but like with the mom specifically, when she's talking about her relationship with her dad or lack thereof, right? You can see that she's just pissed and she's only here because she thinks he has money. He doesn't have money, fucking whatever. And like, I don't understand. Like she has this good moment, which is I think the only cool moment where she's like, because her whole character is like about unreconciled feelings and just having everything happen to her. Like, and supposedly that is because she had no daddy, right? Which I I think it is possible to not turn out that way when you don't have a father figure around. Um, yeah. So that's that's another stereotype, right? But she says, she's talking to the kids and this is her only like real line where she says, I'm glad you found yourself here, but this is all a reminder that he didn't care about me. So like her kids are finally doing well and she's like trying to say like, I am happy for you and this is great for you. But like literally this this whole place is just reminding me that he left me for nothing. She's and, saying, saying that to the kids? Yeah. She says that to the kids when they're like, it's a moment where they're talking about or they're like stoked to be there. And she's like, I, I'm not here for this. And then her reconciliation with those feelings comes from finding out that her dad stalked her. And it's like that whole really boring trope of daddy wasn't there but he was off saving the world or daddy wasn't there but he always loved you and always cared about you you can still care about people i mean clearly his his mechanism to keep the souls down in under was working he could have taken a vacation and raised his daughter who's the fucking mom because janine and him were gonna hook up but i guess then she hooked up with a lawyer but like she never talks about her mom her mom isn't there to help her her mom isn't like a part of the equation it's just her daddy issues because ghostbusters is about men is about women should want to be close to men right so she finds this wall of all of the pictures of her which who is sending him these pictures right and these like notes of like graduated did this did that and it's like he's like piecing together her life without being there and I don't think that's touching I think that's cowardice and I think that's awful and I think that is doing the least and I think that if anything is doing more harm than good and and you do not get points for marking things on a calendar and not picking up the fucking phone you don't get points for not being there and like caring this whole time fuck that if you care you would be uh, a part of your daughter's life and all that serves to do is just to show that he still thought that he was okay and that he was a good person (laughs) because he was justified in his leaving and he still knew what was happening it's so funny because when eric and i first watched this exact part almost at the same time we both audibly were like he's still a bad dad yeah (laughs) yeah like we know what the movie's trying to do. It's trying to set up this like, oh, but he cared and he was there from afar and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that no, doesn't work. he's still a bad dad. And then I hate that the resolve at the end is like his ghost shows up and she's like, dad. And like he's helping save the day. And it's supposed to like help her resolve her daddy issues. It's like, no, no. He sucked. What are you talking about? He wasn't in her life. He like left. And again, he's really just stalking her. Like, pick up a fucking phone. Call. Go visit. You're not that far away. 
you're not that far away. Like, what is keeping you from your daughter's life? And at that point, I'm like, it's like, oh, well, if I have to save the world, they don't have kids. Sorry. Don't have fucking kids. You absolute fool. If you aren't, mm, it made me so mad. It made me so mad because it's like you don't get to justify this behavior for nostalgia's sake because at the end, they all come back and it's like, oh, my daddy was cool and a hero. No, you don't get to justify that. He was a bad dad. That's the whole premise of this movie is that he was a bad dad. You do not rectify it well in the story. So he maintains and still is a bad dad. End of story. That's all and it is. And a bad friend. He had no friends. He had no family. He was literally not missed by anybody. The Ghostbusters no. couldn't really give a shit less if he died or not, right? Like, I don't, like, I, I get that, you know, the actor that played Egon passed away. And so yes. they still wanted to represent him in this movie. But I do think that there was a much better way, in the same way that they could have shown autism in a more thoughtful light. They could have... This could have been really a really cool storyline, but instead and, uh, it's yeah. just the most boring, simplest first pass take at what it looks like for a man to care about somebody from afar, like, or yeah. how he's still a good daddy, even though he's not in her life. Like, and that's, and that's the hugest thing is like, I, I just bare men. It's like the bar could not be lower for men. Like he gets, he gets his hallelujah essentially he gets his saving grace he gets his redemption arc for having done what <laughs> like truly like what did he do to to redeem himself he died an estranged father and a bad father and a bad friend but because of our memory of him and because he had her pictures suddenly it's like oh no he was good no like that's bad that doesn't make any sense it's and it also like toxic that the way that it's overshadowed is this movie is still about men, even though it's got women leads, right? Yeah. Um, it's about like his Egon's ghost shows Phoebe what to do and where to go and stuff like that. Doesn't, doesn't connect with his daughter, by the way, in that he connects with the granddaughter and like the family at no point did they talk about anything. Like, I mean, she could have been like, mom, check this out. Check out this basement, like with all this stuff. Or like the son was fixing. How was he fixing up cars when he failed his driver's test three times? How does he even know how to work on cars? Literally. And, like not even like Google Ghostbusters or whatever. Right. Like because he sees all of this. And how did they know how all of those gadgets were and what they did and turn that it's... like ghost trap into a into a mobile thing in like five minutes? OK, but. At any point, they could have just talked to each other and been like, oh, cool, and come together and like had that montage scene where they're exploring and finding all this out and piecing this all together. And then like that also is a way to bring the family together and to help reconcile her relationship with her dad and their relationship with her grandfather they never knew. That what? was fucking there. That was right there. That could have been done in three fucking minutes. Jess, that is literally my biggest point in this. That's literally what I wanted the most out of this film is they set it up like she's a bad mom they're bad kids she had a bad father generational trauma it's cyclical we get it bad parent to bad parent to bad parent this is a film about reconciliation and ending a cycle that's what the movie's about where was the line? where was the scene where was the scene for that because truly even you mentioned a line earlier about in front of the kids she was like I'm happy for you, but what about me? And in my head, I'm like, oh, she's a bad mom. <laughs> like, right. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But like, 
you cannot blame your kids or or take your kids joy internalize it and selfishly make you the victim in their joy like fuck off that is so selfish and that is so manipulative for your kids gross it's nasty like no just straight up yeah, go to therapy straight up. like just go to therapy <laughs> she doesn't because, have the money you, to go to therapy and she didn't though, have the money to go so. to therapy that's true that's true but even then do not spew that venom back at your kids because you know what they're gonna learn they're gonna internalize it and be like my happiness cannot exist when her happiness does not my joy can't exist while hers doesn't exist like I they're mean, gonna maybe that's why that. they're assholes to each other because and they've maybe, already internalized and, that behavior because everybody uh, sucks in this movie they're all toxic at each other but to me because it's a movie about ending that breaking that cycle like where is the scene where she finally is just like you know what it's unfair of me to treat you guys like this and it's unfair of me to put these things on you like my dad wasn't there and i I was burdened with all the things that he couldn't give me and I had to do these things myself. And by me doing this, I'm kind of doing the same thing to you guys. And I've, I'm not I'm not there for you. I'm distancing myself. I'm putting money things on you. I'm putting emotional burdens on you. Like I'm becoming the same bad parent that I resent. Where is that talk? Because to me, that would have justified all of the decisions by the mom and by the kids and the way that their dynamic works. I mean, granted, Eric and I also, he brought up um, when the car thing happened, he was just like, when did he learn how to fix cars? <laughs> like, Yes. Like, See, my tr- why section is so fucking big because there's so many of these moments where it's like, where did this come from? Why did they need to break into the house? The key should have been given to them by the person that gave them the estate, you know, truly. when that was settled. Um, why <sighs> did the kids like... The kids are competent and both incompetent at the same time where they're able to fix cars and do this crazy mathematical equations and rewire a fucking house like with electricity stuff. Right. But then they're fucking awful when it comes to looking for signs of a ghost, which are literally fucking in front of them. Or And like, why would they also because they are smart, like if you're trying to say that they're smart and that they're competent, then why would they go to the temple originally with no gear when they found all of the gear like why would these kids make these choices none of it Uh, makes sense why (laughs) uh why is there a single ghost in town when there's like no ghosts exist and there's and they haven't been seen for years because of the contraption that egon made that's like keeping them down right so there's a ghost where did that ghost come from there like why why are they there how did they get out when it's like they made a point to say ghosts don't exist anymore and it's fine it's so bad. Also, like I feel like Paul Rudd's character was only there because we needed a key master because the the key master is always the one that has the dick. And two, he was there so he could literally tell Callie, "Hey, you're a good mom. It's okay." When she's fucking not. She's a fucking awful mom. And his character like got so much screen time, which is cool because I feel like that made the movie more enjoyable. And he had one of the best lines where it was science is giving yourself the plague and gambling on a cure punk rock safety pin through the nipple of academia. Like I was like, that's cute. I love that line. But again, he was completely unnecessary. And, and so was lucky. Like, so was the like body that was at the ruin, the ruins. um, Oh, JK Simmons. Because yeah, because like Gozer is the bad guy again, right? Which also I didn't realize that the old Ghostbusters, when they come back, they misgender Gozer. Um, oh, they keep referring to Gozer as she when they are very deliberate in saying 
it's they, not she. It like uh, Gozer has no gender. So of course, of course they misgender Gozer, right? Because they're awful and bad and boomers. Um, so speaking of J.K. Simmons, he has one line in this. He is the body in the in the thing. Famous, extraordinary actor J.K. Simmons. And Jess, you are going to hate me for this or you're going to hate this idea. And you know what? It's just another tie-in to why we're doing this episode. And I'm really sorry that I have to say this. Jason Reitman has already teased a sequel to Afterlife where the no. villain, yes, the villain is a return of the villain from Ghostbusters 2. See, like That's- literally we are just redoing Ghostbusters. Like like earlier in the episode, like in our in our intro, you said that this is a new movie. This is not a, re- uh, a remake. It is a fucking remake because we have the same fucking bad guy and we have the same yeah. fucking characters. It is That's a true. remake. Like, and if they and were to do the that sequel, fucking proves it. well, part of me also is like they cast that character for a reason. It's J.K. Simmons. Why would you cast him for a one liner? It's J.K. Simmons. And then he's You're not like casting gone because they like break them in half. Well, part of me is wondering if like the sequel has to do with maybe a timeline prequel to this one. And if they're bringing back that other one, maybe that painting is a part of his collection because he's obviously this rich man. He owns this painting. The painting is haunted. It's a haunted painting from the second one. I know. Bad. Uh, so that's that's been teased by Reitman himself. Um <sighs> That it if, doesn't deserve a sequel. This absolutely no, does not deserve a sequel. No, uh, we and I mean even it's getting about the Ghostbusters like coming back. Who? Uh, I mean, not to be like, do we have to? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of I want to, but I want to prove a point about how like insignificant and how silly their return was. Oh, it absolutely is. And again, I think it just furthers the point that the Ghostbusters were always about money and never about like doing what is good and what is right because their friend is telling them like hey there's a problem here i see this like i i have this thing and his friends are like no you're lying no like even after i never understand why in movies and ghostbusters 2 did this where like they didn't believe dana and all why when it has already been established that there are ghosts, when it has already been established that there are demons or where, like these these types of things exist in this world and you have a credible source, somebody that you know and somebody that you trust, why do you discredit them? Why don't you believe them? Is it because it's not convenient for you? Is it because like, why are you like, oh no, you're lying. Oh no, you're, you're off your rocker this time. Like, what the fuck? Like, I fucking hate it when when movies do that because it's like to me that doesn't seem at all accurate because if somebody that if i were in that situation and somebody came to me and was like hey this is going to be cool i'm there like don't worry i've got your back yeah like not fuck you and so like egon takes off with literally all their stuff but then they show up and they have all of their stuff where'd they get it where did they get it yeah it's it's po- it's pointless, Jess. It's so pointless, and it makes me so upset when they walk in, and it's just like, oh, remember us? Remember when we tried to fuck you? And you're like, I, I okay, all right. You, you know what? No, go away, go away. And then I hate that that like justifies like the four of them, and I know it's like a nice send off. I know it's to justify the like four shot of their sil- of like them standing and like they have their guns again, and he's like holding Phoebe's gun, and it's like this loving, tender like grandpa granddaughter situation, and like wow, and like what a good send off for our friend, and it even says for Harold right at the end, like that's the whole point of it, and I understand that, 
Um, not to like shit on anybody's eulogy, but from a story, bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit and it's bad. And you using made him that a bad dad that was you like honoring his memory was making him a fucking awful you father. It literally, literally, you guys did that, not us. We're ingesting your content. And then and then for her to then like look and be like, wow, dad. And like the visual of him helping the granddaughter in 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 this in a problem that he created, like, is somehow justifiably redemptive um for the entirety of her life of being a bad father. It's uh it's bad. I like a lot of the visuals in this movie. I think the story is bad. Period. End of sentence. I think I'm done with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm also done. Okay. We're back. We made it. Here we are. Um, we did it. So, Eric. Yes. For Ghostbusters 2, uh-huh. who was that movie for? <sighs> Jess, it's not for anybody. Don't want, like, it's not a movie. <laughs> it's not for anybody. It, I mean, okay, well, let me take that back. It's for people who love cum. <laughs> but no, for real. It's, it sucks. It's but, not, I don't know. Like, who is it for? Who Genuinely, who is it for? But people who, like, who like non-consensual cum. Yeah, I, no. Yeah. Let me, let me rephrase. It's for, it's a film for people who like cum pejorative. Okay. Okay. That works. <laughs> Pejorative come. My God. Okay. Uh, how many times like have we, we said that at this episode? I was going to say, we should have a come counter. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Off the top, be like, and oh, a lot no. of come. Okay. This Jesus. is like our most X rated episode. Kind and it's of? not, it's not our fault. It's not. It's not no. our fault. We're, we're delivering the goods and those goods happen to be uh, guns full of come. Come gun. Yeah. The come gun. Bang, bang. I truly don't know who this was for, Jess. Or skeet skeet. Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. I, okay, I, I'm going to bed right now. I know it, it's I'm... not my fault. Blame Ghostbusters too. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to say it's for nobody. Who do you think it was for? Um, God, I'm going to say that it was for. It's nobody. Because it's for right? nobody. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's such an oddball film. Like, like there's literally nothing redeeming about it. It's for, it is yeah. okay. No, it is for the studios because they wanted more money. It is a full-on cash grab. That is who this was for. This was for the executives' wallets. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like <sighs> it? No, it's not a good movie. It's not even funny. Like, at least if it was funny and bad, that'd be uh, one thing. Um, again, at any point, if you're going to underutilize or misuse Sigourney Weaver, I'm out. Um, she's a star. And fuck them for that. 100%. Um, yeah. I didn't like it. Did you? Oh, I fucking hated this movie. I thought yeah. that at least... I mean, the original Ghostbusters, we uh, we know that it's problematic, but we still have like a little bit of a good time with it, and we would still rewatch it because of the nostalgia that it, that like we feel for it. But like this one, no, never, never in a million years. I never want to see this movie again. Everything that I, the things that I did like about the original Ghostbusters, 
like the the moments of charm that it might have had or like you know Sigourney being awesome or like all of that was taken away and even like they they made everybody into a pervert and like not even again like not even like a fun pervert or like like just like really fucking gross disgusting asshole perverts that like I don't why am I going to watch them like just act so fucking entitled all over the screen I don't need that I I mean there's enough people like that in the world now why would this be my form of escapism why would I ever want to root for the Ghostbusters who are just in general the worst people imaginable that like literally are like infested in every part of our of our society right now why would I want that like so yeah no I fucking I I really 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 dislike this movie um this is going to be a one star for me yeah I feel that I completely feel that I'm right there with you (laughs) um how about the 2022 Ghostbusters Afterlife was it new interesting or the same progressive regressive what are you feeling what are you feeling podcast oh my god I I meant to call um, you podcast this entire episode podcast and I just didn't I'm so sorry so podcast podcast what are you feeling I personally think that it's technically new because it came out later I don't really think it's interesting and I think it's I think it's the same. Like I don't know, it's not I think technically it's attempting to be progressive in I mean that throwaway line about like it's 2020 uh there they or whatever and you're like okay. And but then on top of that the like, film goes and breaks that like yeah. literally the next scene. Which again is just like what is happening? And it's I just it's kind of a nothing movie too. So I don't really know how to describe it. It's not progressive or regressive because it didn't really change any. Nothing's different, right? Mm-hmm. No, um, I I think you're right. Like, it's hard because it is a hundred percent not interesting. I was not interested. I did not give a shit about anybody or anything. Um, it was new because it's new, but the same. It to me, it felt like. A watered down version of a Ghostbusters, but just with better camera work, like so, yeah. and and like a different color palette, you know. So it felt yeah. like we gave it a new paint job, and we uh, took some high res photos instead of some, uh, you know, low res photos, and um, we also just you know have like half of a script, but it's okay because somebody's gonna buy this, somebody's gonna pay money for this. Like yeah, it um so yeah, it's really hard because it's it didn't feel new, but it also didn't feel the same. It just felt like nothing in in a lot of ways. And I think like it was trying to be progressive in a couple of things. Like so, it's like oh look at we have an autistic character, or we have there's more people of color in this uh, who are uh, like you know. Uh, <laughs> still tokenized but like and and that's the thing is it's like so for every thing that they were like oh cool we have you know several characters of color but they are still tokenized and still like podcast fighting the marshmallows come on um and then we still like we have a kid that's autistic right but this is not a good thoughtful version of that we have oh well i mean 
Egon, Egon wasn't a great dad, but like it, it felt like every way that they were trying to say something or uh, or be inclusive or be um, be progressive, there was uh, a but like that immediately followed that um, that decision in the writers' room or in the characterization, whatever that undid everything that this character was supposed to be because it was so unthoughtful, and in doing that it made it regressive like because yeah. they are actively trying to say like oh cool we are trying to be more diverse or we're you know we're trying to show something more complex or you know but like you don't get brownie points for doing that you have to have good writing you have to be thoughtful in in what you're doing with these characters and with the story so just to have that doesn't mean that you get a pass you know yeah. so yeah. that's how i felt about that <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Just that. <laughs> I mean, just that. It's fine. Um, who do you think this was for, Eric? Oh, my God. I mean, it was for Jason Reitman. Uh, Jason Reitman's nostalgic redemption journey. Not to say that it's bad, but that's how I feel. I feel like that's what it was for. Like he's trying to redeem this idea of the Ghostbusters in a way that's like honoring his dad and also honoring Harold Ramis. And and sure, I feel like some of the pieces were there, but ultimately it it didn't do anything or say anything. And it's kind of just a uh, victim of its of the same sort of woes of its predecessor. Like it kind of fell into the same traps. It's kind of toxic. It's not a great story. Kind and of it. It really does depend on the nostalgia that you have for the uh, for the series, right? Like, yeah. and this is why this is why I thought that the 2016 version was such a better take on Ghostbusters, and it was so much more fun. The jokes landed, the world building was great, the sets were cool. It felt new, it felt fun, it felt interesting. Like, and I again, like, I know that without that character, um, it it was a little bit different, but still, yeah. like, in every sense of that film, I do feel like that was an honest redemption of the franchise. And I feel like watching that version of Ghostbusters was how I remembered watching the original Ghostbusters. I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I was a kid, I was five. I I did not know I mean, the, the movie came out when I was born, before I was born. But, like, I didn't know good from... I, I didn't know anything, right? Mm. And so then, like, the memories that I did have of it, yeah, I was like, oh, cool. This 2016 version is it. This is it. And when I went back and watched it, I was like, oh, my God. But that's a perfect example of taking something and punching it up and writing it better and knowing the IP that you're working with and building, like building a whole universe or, or like a whole world, building upon what was there and making it better and removing the racist comments, the sexism, the, you know, all of this, like that's how you be thoughtful. That's how yeah. you do this. And um, instead of like seeing that it felt like, and being like, Oh yeah, absolutely. We can totally do something like this rather than even using that as some sort of inspiration, which they like, you know, uh, technically that film is not canon in the Ghostbusters cinematic universe, which is awful, but they were just like, no, 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 but but original Ghostbusters, no, 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 but but this, like, this is what we're going for. And if that's what they were going for, I think they nailed it. It was unthoughtful. It was not fun. <laughs> it was, it just, um, it didn't land even in like a cute way or anything because it just, it just suffered from 
too much nostalgia. Yeah. And bad Ag- writing. Agreed. Did you like it? <laughs> <laughs> um oh my god, I totally loved it podcast. Loved it. Um no, I hated it. It was the most nothing thing that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. How about you? Um, I mean, generally, no, but it's more of a no leaning meh than like a hard no. Because I still think like I did watch it twice and there were still several like sequences. I'm like, oh, like even in the opening sequence when he's driving that ghost in the house and like the fog sweeps across the ground and you see the silhouette of the monster and you're like, that I mean, was great. I was like, cool, this is the movie we're doing. But it was not at all the movie that we were exactly, doing. Exactly. Exactly. I know. And that's the thing. So there are parts of it that I'm like, that was actually really cool and like fucking awesome. And like, I'm so into this. But then as a whole, it it kind of deteriorated and didn't end up paying off almost anything. And so no leaning meh because some of those scenes were really good. That's why I'm leaning meh on it. That opening scene, um, this movie did what Mortal Kombat did. Where it started off with a really strong scene. We're like, oh, fuck yeah, this is what I'm here for. And then that scene had like nothing to do with anything else. And it yeah. did, and nothing felt like the storytelling was just wildly. It felt like two different directors did those two scenes. Yeah. Or the did the first scene, then the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it's a mess. But some of it, I still like that whole car sequence, I still think is amazing. But. Oh my god. I should have I should have said the first one was for come in mommies. Why why didn't I say that the first one was for that? mommies? I fucked up. You know oh what? Oh my god. Re- and you know what? That. And this this movie, the remake, is it's for, for daddies. It's for Bad daddies. daddies. <gasps> yeah. Bad daddies and mommies. That's it. Wow. Yep. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow, we, we really got to the root of the it. Ghostbusters. Um, can I ask something? Yes. Can we not do Ghostbusters ever again? <laughs> no, I'm just uh-huh. kidding. But I mean, granted, if something comes out and like it's like worth doing 100%. But <laughs> I'm so tired of Ghostbusters shit. <laughs> I think it's so like boring and like, okay. Look, I love. Uh, I'm I so love disinterested. I love, love the, the look. gadgets. Yeah. Love the premise. I love a lot about the idea of the Ghostbusters really hate the storytelling yeah. and the characterization in yeah. the Ghostbusters. I could not be less interested in it after ingesting all of this stuff multiple <laughs> times too. Like I just, I don't, I don't want any more of it. I mean, like, ar- arguably whenever we record an episode, we spend 10 hours on an IP because yeah. we are watching the movies. We are uh, organizing notes, looking up fun facts. We are recording this podcast. So, I mean, We've spent 20 hours now uh, collectively with the Ghostbusters. And you just did a rewatch of Afterlife. So um, probably 12 for you. Yeah, probably something in there. Yeah, because I watched the the newest one twice. But I mean, yeah, we spent a lot of time with this IP. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad that like this is just came out. So we're probably not going to get another one for a while. Um, I hope that other one does not get made. Jess, how bad is that? That's such a bad idea. It's a really fucking bad idea. Oh my god! And why else would they cast J.K. Simmons? I mean, granted, he is dead, but like, as a cameo, I guess because cameos exist. I don't know. 
whatever when this film was trying to talk about like breaking the cycle of bad parenting or something like that maybe and we're just going to show that everything is cyclical and just bring back all of the baddies every time in the same way like oh my god is (sighs) oh my god our mommy and paul red gonna have a baby and then that baby is going to be the oscar surrogate for this second one the yawniest yawn the yawniest yawn I could yawn, truly. Mm-hmm. Ugh, mm-hmm. boring. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We made thank, it. We watched you for this listening. so you didn't have to. Yeah, and if you did, congrats. <laughs> and yay, Ghostbusters. But if while you you're disagree with us, tell us. We would love d- yeah, to hear from you. Li- literally DM us and let's talk about it. I've had several people do that uh, with me and I kind of love it. Um. Please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on all of our social media platforms. It really helps the follows, the likes, the ratings, the reviews. Get we us out are. there. We are <laughs> we also like, actually on our social media now. Go look at us. Uh, 2022, New Year, New Us. Um, so yeah, we're going to have some cool stuff on social media. So follow us on Instagram and the TikTok and all of the places, all of the things. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre. Our editing is by Danny Barkley. Thank you again uh, for listening. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Goodbye. 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 Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number 4, like how there's 4 of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.